summer, we're exploring the Psalms. And when I was asked to speak, I thought, okay, which one shall I go for? And I thought I'd probably go for one of the most familiar ones, Psalm 23. And the reason I like that is because poetry and art in general has a way of being able to connect our our heart and mind and to articulate feelings that we sometimes can't get hold of. You know what it's like, your, your heart will race ahead and your mind isn't really sure. And if it's, if it's a really good feeling, like graduation or a new job or a new baby or you fall in love, the world seems a really new, shiny place, doesn't it? If it's a bad feeling, if it's disappointment, if it's disillusionment, if it's the breakup of a relationship or loss, then the world seems really strange. Something shifted, things look the same, but you know the world or your life will never be the same as you know it. And Psalm 23 was a big comfort to me when my dad died about two years ago. Um, oh, I still feel a bit teary about this. But I, I remember I was sitting in a dark room a couple of days after he died, and he had a beautiful death. And I thank the Lord for that. I think after a beautiful life, a beautiful, peaceful death is the next best thing we can hope for, and then eternity. And he died uh, in the hospice um, in this beautiful, big room overlooking um, the Bristol Channel. Uh, and that was lovely. But then, two or three days later, you know, the reality of life without my wonderful, funny, cantankerous Jamaican dad became real. And, and I was sitting in a room, a dark room, with a blanket over me, listening to some worship music, and the words of this psalm, Psalm 23, came to me. So turn to your Bibles, please, if you've got them, to Psalm 23. If not, it should come up on the screen behind me. A Psalm of David. And this is really important, because David is the bloke that I want to concentrate on this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Words that are so familiar to us, and I, I, I'm hoping that in unpicking them, I can invite you to think about them in, in a different way, and maybe to own it as the, uh, as the, the, the present week comes. Now, uh, I want to go into a little bit of a backstory, and just as I was coming in this morning, and, and, and as we were worshipping, the Lord placed on my heart to deal with brokenness in Christianity, and to deal with those of us who look at other people and think, oh my goodness, you know, my family isn't shiny and, and wonderful like them. People who feel, I'm not good enough, I'm a bit grubby, I'm broken, 
I, I'm never, ever going to enjoy Lord's, the Lord's favor. Maybe I shouldn't be going to church at all. And I just want to break that down. And the person I want to concentrate on is David. All right. David, a man after God's own heart, his family life was hell. Okay. It made the Simpsons look like the Waltons. His family life, he was uh, Jesse's son. He was the youngest. He was the baby. Uh, the youngest of eight boys, we're told. Uh, and they weren't very nice to him in a way that big brothers aren't. Big brothers don't get a very good press in the Bible. But David's brothers were really, really horrible. Then his marital life was terrible. We're told that he had eight wives, 19 children with his wives, and then he had children with his concubines. Polygamy, polygamy in the Bible is a difficult issue. But I'd like to be serious for a moment and ask you, Please don't try it at home, okay? I think, I feel James would like me to underline that, okay? Whatever brokenness you come with, I'm not sure we'd be able to cope with polygamy, okay? Right. So, a story that highlights some of the challenges in, in David's life is the story of his anointing. Uh, if we go to 1 Samuel 16, um, Israel has begged, you remember the story, Israel has begged God for a king. They get Saul, and things don't turn out well. So the Lord says, I am going to anoint another. And he tells Samuel to go to uh, the family of Jesse, and he's decided that he's going to anoint one of his sons. Now, David was the baby. Um, it's interesting that his mother is not mentioned in the Bible. She's discussed in the Talmud, which is the Jewish book of law. Her name was Nitzavet. And I just imagine these arguments, you know, he was her baby, all right? He had, she had, uh, Jesse and she had these seven other strapping sons, but they needed somebody to look after the sheep. So she says, Jesse, if you think you're sending my baby out to look after those sheep, you must be mad. Come on, woman, you know, it's going to make a man of it. Jesse, there are bears and there are wolves and there are lions out there. I am not sending my baby out there. She lost that argument, okay? So David, as we know, ended up as the shepherd. Now, Israel in those days, although there were pastures to be found, sometimes, depending on the time of year, you would have to walk a long, long, long way to find pastures. You know, to, it was a very, very hot country. The climate determined that there were only a few bits of green that the sheep could uh, adequately eat. So chances are that David spent days, weeks even, away from home. And you can imagine, his poor mum thinking, oh, my baby, where's my baby? Look at these strapping lads here. Why couldn't you have sent them out, Jesse? Family life was obviously going to be very, very difficult. But anyway, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and they, uh, he, he explains what he's going to do. Um, they anoint the family, and then, when I say anoint, they, they, they prepare them for the sacrifice of the meat. But they cannot eat the meat, okay, um, until the anointing takes place. So Jesse says, okay. Says to Samuel, I'll bring the boys up, shall I? Well, he brings out Eliab. And you can just imagine in this household, you know, proper hench they were. Eliab comes out. <laughs> You know, you can imagine, you just see the testosterone, can't you? Eliab, the oldest son. And Samuel himself is impressed. He says, oh, Lord, look, he's so old. He's so old, look at that face. Surely this is the anointed. And God says, no, it's not him. 
And one of the most important verses in the New Testament, I, well, I think in the whole Bible comes up. It's 1 Samuel 16, 7. It should come up on the screen behind me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in this day of social media and Instagram, Snapchat, etc., I think that's a really, really key phrase. Anyway, Eliab goes out and can imagine, you know, takes all his muscles, sits down, really disappointed. Second son, Abinadab, comes out. <laughs> so that's, that's more Bruce Forsyth, isn't it? Than, you know. <laughs> so Abinadab comes out. And Samuel says, Lord? The Lord says, no. Shema, the third son, comes out. No. So the other four sons come out. And I think this is a testament to Samuel. No. The Lord says, no, 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 it's none of these. And how often have we had a word from the Lord, and because circumstances, immediate circumstances, didn't seem to confirm what the Lord was saying, we thought, oh, I must have heard wrong. But no, bless Samuel, respect to him. He turned to Jesse and he said, have you got any more sons? And he said, how many of you have seen Home Alone? You know, it's, when they're on the plane, they remember they left Kevin. Oh, it's Kevin! You know, at least Kevin's family went back for him and they cared about him. Oh, no, they said, oh, you know, there's the smallest, there's the youngest one out there, you know. And Samuel says, go and get him. We're not going to sit down and eat until he comes in. And he comes in. And you can imagine, it takes some time to get him in, okay? So you've got these seven big brothers, hurt pride, anger, hungry. It's a really toxic mix, okay? <laughs> David comes in, and the Bible says he's ready. Now, I don't know about you, but I think ready, I think Ed Sheeran. Okay, so, you know, talented, you know, I think the parallel is there, you know, red hair, songs, song maker, songwriter, and, you know, that wonderful, wonderful confirmation you get when the Lord gives you a word, this is the one, this is the one, Samuel agrees, and he anoints David, and it's really, really important, he anoints David in the presence of his brothers. They don't shuffle off into a corner, or we don't want them to be angry. The Lord anoint, has David anointed in the presence of his brothers. Well, you can imagine what life was like at home. I mean, if I was David, I would have wanted to get out to the bears and the wolves after that, you know? But no, it was very much this thing of God seeing what was inside David, seeing that he was a man after his own heart. Well, let's, let's break down the psalm. David, I just had this image of David, you know, having a really hard day out on the pasture, maybe fighting off a wolf or a lion or whatever, finding some pasture for the sheep, lying down, piece of grass in his mouth, composing a psalm, looking up at the sky saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Whatever crap was going on at home, the horrible atmosphere that can only you know, if, you, if your family's not working, 
it, it, it really tears at you. It feels like there's blisters on your heart. You know, there's, your home, your family are not your refuge. But David could lie back on the pasture and say, the Lord is my shepherd. How beautiful is that? Now, what's interesting about the use of his word shepherd there is a much more intimate term than anywhere else in the Psalms. We find God referred as, you know, you're the king, you're my deliverer, you're my rock, you're my refuge. But shepherd is very, very intimate. Um, the word most commonly used for shepherd in Hebrew is ra, which means best friend. So the Lord is my shepherd. He's my best friend. I won't want anything. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I've said that uh, you may need to lead sheep to some distance away to find, um, to find the kind of grass that they like. Sheep like grass, and in particular, they like a very broad-leafed kind of grass called forbs, okay? They're not like goats. Goats will go up on the mountainside. They'll eat anything. In fact... <laughs> When I was doing research for this, I came across his website. Under no circumstances, feed your goats chocolate. <laughs> what are the chances, you know? Come here, I've got a white chocolate magnet for you. No. Anyway, sheep like grass. So the good shepherd would know this. And he walked out and maybe would have been days even before they found some, some green pasture that the sheep could eat. Quiet waters. I've always had that nice image of, you know, like a babbling brook. But interestingly, sheep, because of their shape, the physiognomy of their faces, they can't drink enough water if it's choppy. So you have to lead sheep to water that is still. Isn't that interesting? I never knew that before. Growing up in Grangetown, you see. <laughs> so, <laughs> I only ever see sheep in the form of lamb chops. I'm really sorry, you know. <laughs> but the good shepherd would know this. The good shepherd would know that he would care enough to find, you know, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, a, a, a brook, a bit choppy, but come on, get your heads down. No, 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 no. The good shepherd leads his sheep to pasture, quiet waters, and he makes them lie down because he knows when they're, they're tired, they're hassled, you know, it's not good for them. Does it ring any bells with you? Verse three, he restores my soul. Isn't that lovely? Somebody was talking during prayer time of an oasis in a desert. You know that lovely feeling when you're parched and you get something to drink? God wants your soul to be restored in that same way. Another translation for that verse, by the way, is he causes my life to return. Isn't that lovely? He causes my life to return. Verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What I like about this one is the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley. The idea is, you know, sheep wander off. We wander off. God's not going to send us into a dark valley. We may want to go. And sometimes in order to teach us a lesson, he'll let us go. 
but he's always with us. He's always with us. The shepherd has a rod for keeping the sheep on the path that he wants them to go along. He has a hook that he can pull them back, pull them out of holes or crevices that they've fallen into. And that's such a wonderful image for us broken sinners, isn't it? You know, discipline and rescue. And so, I mean, I put my hands up. There's plenty of times when I've needed both. Verse five, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Sometimes it's hard for us in 21st century Britain to understand the culture of the, the Middle East. Hospitality was huge. Sitting down with people, eating meals, was considered to be really, really important. And one of the times where you would have a meal is when you had a battle and your enemies were defeated. And so you would gather your people around, and it was seen to be a sign of humiliation, but you would feed them the best food that you had. It was almost like a kind of covenant. I am the, the, the victor, you are the vanquished. You will eat, and then you will go. Now, I would suggest, we know that David had lots and lots of enemies, including in his own family. One of his sons tried to kill him. Oh, my gosh, you know, did they need therapy? But... I suggest that, you know, in Psalms, it's really not very helpful for us these days to think of people as our enemies. And I would like to invite you to think of the enemies as anything that stands in the way of you relating to God better. With me, it's fear of lack. You know, growing up, um, I remember seeing my mum cry because there wasn't enough money to last the end of the week. And, and that feeling of lack... Uh, has dogged me. All these years later, I'm 60, and I'm still fearful of lack. I need to trust God. So at the table, the feast that God is going to lay for me, I'm going to have lack and fear of lack. And I'm going to serve them white chocolate magnums and lamb chops, okay? And then I'm going to say to them, get lost. Um, I've got quite an addictive personality, and, and some of you know that I was a journalist for a long time. And I love the highs. You know, there were some amazing adrenal highs. I forget, the enemy was whispering in my ear, I forget that I never had a sense of peace. And I would always chase after the highs. Now, when I'm just thinking, oh, I'm not sure, blah, 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 covetousness. That's what I, I covet sometimes, is this, Lord, I want, high, I want that kind of affirmation. I want that tick. I want, I want that. I want that success. Covetousness at my table. And what am I going to feed covetousness? Oh, I know. Covetousness can have a big whopping lasagna. All right? <laughs> On your bike, covetousness. <laughs> so what is it for you? You know, as I said, there's some of you are struggling with this idea of not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. And then... There's a twin brother to that. It's, oh, I'm too loud. I'm too fat. I'm too tall. I'm too thin. Uh, I, 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 I'm too nervous. We'll sit those two there and you give them whatever you like. Let's say rice pudding and roast chicken. Okay. And then get out of here because you're no longer wanted. You're vanquished. The battle is the Lord's. Get out. What a great feeling. Why don't we embrace this opportunity? You know, 
it's, it's interesting, isn't it? So much of popular culture, things like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, you know, they, they always come in, culminate in this idea of a big battle against good and bad, but there's been a long struggle going up to it. That's the world. In the kingdom, the battle is won. And so often we take the world's ideas to our faith, don't we? We say, oh, you know, we've got to struggle, and oh my goodness, Satan this, etc. They're vanquished, kaput, get out of here. You don't belong here. Oh, right. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, it's been said before, I think Ian and uh, Rachel, actually, I think may have said this before. The verb used here, follow me, is pursue run after you. Goodness and love are running after you. Can you imagine there's two guys here? Goodness, love, and they want to run after you. And they, they want to bless you. And so why don't we just stop? You know, when you're, you're walking along to work and you've got that sick feeling in your stomach because you just don't know what the day is going to hold. Well, actually, that sick feeling in the stomach, I know some people feel it when they go to school. Some people might feel it when they go home. Goodness and love want to bless you. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of shepherd you have. How fantastic is that? And David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, in the New Testament, we know in 1 Corinthians 3, we're told, you realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred and you remember are the temple. You are the temple. If you stay close to God, he will dwell in you. Why would you want to go anywhere else? It's extraordinary. So let's just have a think about why has this psalm resurrected down the years? It was probably written between two and a half thousand to three thousand years ago. So why does it resonate you know, that, that young Jewish boy on the hillside lamenting the fact that he didn't get on with his family. And a black woman in 21st century Britain grieving her dad. What is it about that? What is it about poetry? What is it about the words of that psalm? And basically, it's because it's a psalm of reassurance. If you look at the words, there's never a hint that David has to earn God's favor. It's unbelievable because he already has it. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Because they're sheep. Why do we need a savior? Because we're broken, we're lost. We need a savior to pull us out of those crevices and so on and so forth. We've all sinned. We've all gone astray. We've all fallen short of what God has wanted from us. But the first line of that, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To me, in modern parlance, it's almost like David is saying, it is what it is, but it doesn't matter because God is with me. Now, today in this environment, you know, you have to earn things. Like, you've got to be a success. You've got to be a YouTuber or a vlogger or, you know, you've got to have the outward signs of success. That's the world. The kingdom is not like that. It is what it is, but no matter, God loves me. God is my shepherd. So even when we've wandered off into the darkest valley, 
probably out of disobedience, sheer willfulness, and I will own up to this, God is still there, and he'll use anything to get us back on track. When all else went wrong in David's family, when his, the people he should have been able to trust the most, when they turned their back on him, when they were horrible to him, he could still look to the Lord. And you know, what I would want to ask is, what is it that you turn to instead of the Lord? You know, um, I'm not saying turn your back on your family. In the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother comes before do not murder, do not lie, do not commit adultery. So family is important. There is an idea that we are planted where we are for a reason. Some of the, the, the thorns in our families or in our circumstances may be what Pete Scazzaro calls saint makers. They're there to, to make you more like Jesus if you, if you let Jesus change you and transform you. So what is it in your life that may have let you down? What have you invested in so much that has brought so little return? Is it money? Is it relationship? Is it a career? Was in my case, possessions. And now David was no saint. Don't get me wrong, he was no saint, I've told you. But the Bible describes some of the terrible things he got up to, including murdering his best friend, one of his best friends, in order to marry his wife. Awful. He's still described as a man after God's own heart, which I find in my brokenness very comforting. And he's there for you too. Whatever you've done, whatever you've said, whatever you feel, no matter how far you strayed, like one of those curious little lambs, oh, he looks greener over there, I think I'll go over there. Oh, he looks greener over there. Oh, he looks greener over there. Whatever you've done, no matter how far you've strayed, He'll never leave you alone. And he wants to bring you back to the path that he's laid out for you. If you let him. If you let him. He's there. The offer is there. It's on the table waiting for you. So in the next week, I'm going to ask you to think about this psalm. You may even be going to an occasion, a wedding, or even a funeral where the psalm is recited. I want you to think about the words. And I want you to own it. Do you need a best friend? The Lord is your shepherd. Are you feeling frazzled and burnt out? I can't take it anymore, Lord. What do they need from me? He'll make you lie down. He'll make you rest. And he'll cause your life to return. Are you in a dark valley? One that you thought looked really light, really green from over here? Don't be afraid of the shadows or anything evil because he is with you. Are you feeling desolate and needy? He's sending goodness and his mate love to run after you and bless you, tap you on the shoulder. Yeah, we're here, goodness, love. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. There's nothing we need. We have enough. We are enough. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Amen.